This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. We were going to try something a little bit different here on Play by Playcast this week. Welcome back into the podcast, everybody. My name is Joel Godet. Thanks for hitting download or subscribe, checking in with us on Stitcher or iTunes. If you're new to the podcast, you can find our previous nine episodes on uh, the archives, both on Stitcher and on iTunes. And, of course, you can interact with us as well. You can find me on Twitter at Joel Godet, G-O-D-E-T-T. Or uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at PXPCast. Uh, feel free to give us a follow and a shout uh, over on the Twitter machine as well. Uh, we were going to do something new with this episode of the podcast, and that was uh, when I recorded this interview with Adam, um, we were going to, like, I literally recorded the intro and called Adam at the same time. So we picked up the phone live, basically, and, and we were just, it was hot from the get-go. However... I have to throw in this little addendum at the beginning um, because this is going to be part one of two with Adam Amin. Adam and I went like an hour and 15 minutes in this podcast, and I figured that might be a little long. I mean, it's a podcast. We could have done it, but uh, I figured it would be good to uh, chop it up into two a little bit more digestible episodes. So today is episode one of two with Adam Amin. Tremendous dude. uh, Awesome broadcaster. One of the youngest, uh, if not the youngest, when he was hired, maybe. I don't know off the top of my head, um, and I didn't ask. Uh, But one of the youngest guys, uh, certainly on Air Talents, at ESPN. Again, uh, if not now, when he was hired, most certainly. And not only that, one of the more faster rising, fast rising, fastest rising uh, young talents that they have as well. I don't mean is tremendous. So now we can fake roleplay this, get the phone buzzing in the background, uh, as if we were doing this live uh, for the second time as we wait for uh, for Adam Amin here on Play by Playcast. All good, all good. Just uh, kind of puttering around the apartment today. Uh, just kind of cleaning it up and doing laundry and a bunch of bullshit Saturday stuff. That's good. I feel like you so, need those days, though, don't you? I do. I try to knock it all out while I can, while I'm still home. Like, this is my last Saturday, I think, at home for the next few months. So I'm glad you chose it to spend it with me. That's that's honoring. <laughs> this, I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> oh. I'm not going to dive into it lest I get really sad and depressed. It but, was it was yeah. funny when I texted you yesterday. I was like, uh, so I'm uh I'm going to be at the office by myself on Saturday and uh, I don't know if you have plans, but if you don't, uh, this would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is this I, this says a lot about both of us. I think more than anything. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, what are you doing tomorrow? Probably the same thing. Bullshit on the phone for 45 minutes, an hour, or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, hilarious note, by the way. I've just been rolling on this entire thing because I was curious to see how that was going to go and thought that it might be fun to just start with that. So, we'll see. <laughs> no, I, I, li- I like when, like, I've, I prefer podcasts that way, in all honesty. Just, uh, like, I like listening to them when they, when they go that way. So. I was like, maybe he'll pick up the phone and just drop six expletives in a row, and that would be awesome. <laughs> That's always the hope. 
I yes. Tell hope. Like I listen to Pete Holmes podcast, which I love. And he always like, and like Nerdist and stuff like that. So basically yeah. like all those Nerdist podcasts and they all say like, like, Oh, we've been rolling this whole time. Like, I just think it's better than, <laughs> you know, like a weird intro. I like, I like it. I have no problem with it whatsoever. Well, and the best part is when inevitably somebody goes, shit. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And then the host always goes, no, it's okay. It's a podcast. As yeah, it's, a, it's okay. Better. Yeah. Like, can I randomly swear? I don't think it's a bad thing, right? No, no, I, I, I don't think iTunes cares enough bleep, about us to rate us yet. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't, we haven't gotten like the. I feel like you just leave it out anyway if you want to. I could, but that would require more effort. More effort in the <laughs> editing process. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for the help, by the way, too. Like, we just got our our uh, sports night podcast on uh, on iTunes. Oh, this nice. Week. So thanks with that. So I appreciate it, man. Is this where I do the Zach Galifianakis and go, what are you here to promote? <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what do you exactly want to talk about uh, here? Like, do you just want do you have movies to plug or something? We can, you, you know what? Actually, let's start there and go backwards. Cause I, I've never seen sports night. Um, so tell me, please tell me about your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally just like me and a buddy. Uh, we, we're, we're huge fans of Aaron Sorkin. Like I love Aaron Sorkin. Fantastic. He's my like my favorite television writer, and obviously he's very good in movies as well. But like he's my favorite TV writer. And Sports Night is just it's one of those shows. Like I think a lot of people like The West Wing, and people probably know more about like the newsroom. But I Sports Night was his first TV show, and I was just like going back and kind of seeing where a person developed. And probably like ten years ago, I just, I actually watched Sports Night, even though it was his first show. It was like the, the Sorkin show I ever saw and I just I really enjoyed it and then that was right around the time I was getting into broadcasting like I was in college at the time so I was like oh this is of course I'm gonna watch sports tonight it's about broadcasters who are really funny and and really smart and uh are goofballs so naturally I fell in love with it and then a buddy of mine from high school uh we both figured out we both really liked the show and we both uh like the West Wing and there's a West Wing podcast that we listen to and we're like you know we could do something like this about sports night it's shorter and we could probably do the same stuff, and we can edit it, and we could have guests, and uh, let's see how it works out. So that's how a podcast started. Who have you had on? Uh, we have had, we've only done three episodes. Uh, we have scheduled to bring on, like, uh, USA Today writers, uh, a producer from ESPN, oh, wow. and a producer from NBC Sports. So we're, uh, those are the, like, the, the slotted guests that we're going to have within the next month. You know, I don't know if he does or not, but let's presume Aaron Sorkin listens to this podcast. Uh, would you like to make a pitch to him? I, I, don't, I would love if all of a sudden Aaron Sorkin decided that he had <laughs> nothing better to do than go on a podcast and talk about sports night for 25 minutes and have us bother him because we're somebody. Me and my me and my buddy, we're 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 somebody's. We deserve to have our voices heard with Aaron Sorkin. Why not? You don't know somebody uh, in like yeah. ESPN PR that can't reach out to him for you. I I don't think so. I, I I don't know how you get in touch with Aaron Sorkin anymore. Like he's like a legitimate, like he's an Oscar winning Hollywood writer. Like it's it's hard to. I imagine it's hard to get in touch with people like him. You realize it's going to be one of those things where you're thinking about it, and then like you can just Google Sorkin in like the white pages Los Angeles and be like, you know, that's kind of obvious. But his, nobody... his, his Gmail pops up. I think it's Aaron.Sorkin <laughs> at gmail.com probably. That's fantastic. So and a random email to it and see what happens. I always love when that happens, by the way. When somebody's email, you're like trying to figure out what it is, and it's just like first name, last name at AOL. <laughs> and then it's, it's like, hilarious. Hey, can I get in touch with like Matt Damon? It's like, oh, yeah, it's Matt Damon at gmail.com. Like, <laughs> just just shoot, him a, shoot him a quick note. I'm sure it'll pop up in the social section. Or, or it's like Hotmail or something that nobody uses anymore. <laughs> Something that's not as 
Can you get get in touch with somebody through Ask Jeeves? Is that possible? Because <laughs> if that's possible, let's go through there. Greatest website of all time. Um, <laughs> all right, I digress. Uh, let's uh, let's dive into some broadcast stuff. Um, first off, let's work backwards in some senses. I want to start with the ESPN stuff. Um, what's it like to have worked for the worldwide leader at what seems like the age of eleven? <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. It was. Slave labor, I think, more than anything else, is how most people would describe it at the age of 11. Very sweatshop head. No, I, you know, it's, I I don't think there's much difference working for ESPN than it is working for a lot of other companies now. Uh, it's, and maybe that's a naive of me to say, because again, I got there at a relatively young age. So they, it's it's almost all I've known in my career outside of, you know, being in college and being out freelancing for a couple of years and being in Iowa and being in New Jersey and, and doing like minor league baseball and things like that. This is pretty much the only job I've known. So for me, it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal anymore. And I'm sure that's a little bit naive because, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking back five years, six years and thinking how big of a deal it would have been to work at ESPN. But I think at this point, just kind of being immersed in it and, and still having the attitude of, I'm just a play-by-play guy and I just show up for the games and I call the games and then I go home or go to the next game. That's always kind of been my philosophy about it. So I don't think it's, it's that much different to me working at ESPN than it was working anywhere else. I have to schedule this. I have to schedule that. I have to go to the airport. I have to go to my project, you know, like, you know, like you'd work on a, on a project or a conference. People travel for stuff like that all the time and they go do their work there and then they go back home. It's, it doesn't feel different to me, but I know that's that's kind of naive thinking of it that way. But I try to keep thinking of it that way. As it's just another company. It's just another job. It's nothing special. It's cool. It's a great job. I'm happy having that job, but it's nothing out of the ordinary. This this is what you do. This is what everybody has. Everybody's got a job. They they A lot of people have to travel for their jobs. They prepare. They travel. They go to the job, and they go home. And that's the, kind of the attitude I've always wanted to take with it. I'll cycle back to that in a little bit here, but uh, let's go back to, to Valparaiso first, and now we'll work our way forward. Um, did you go to Valpo trying to be a broadcaster, or was it which was what was first, chicken or egg in, in that scenario? I think I went there trying to be a broadcaster because I didn't know, like I know a lot of guys who get into this business, like they just know, you know, like people just know, Oh, I was eight years old and I wanted to be a broadcaster. I was, I was, I was 10 and I, I just wanted to do this. And I have like the same stories that people do. Like I would turn my video games down and yep. play NHL 94 and pretend to do the play by play. Or, uh, you know, I was eight years old and I, I was in elementary school and my music teacher would let me talk about the Blackhawks for two minutes every week, you know, in front of the class. And that was kind of cool. Like that was your little introduction to it, but your, I didn't your, have like your music coach- class. Yeah, in music class, because my music teacher, Mr. Fair, was a, and still is, a huge, huge Blackhawks fan, and I was a huge hockey fan growing up, and I loved the Blackhawks, so he and I would talk about that, even though I was nine years old, eight years old, whatever it was, he would just, he would give me two minutes every week, and here's what's happening with the Blackhawks, and he was nice enough to let me do that, and that was kind of like my start, and I've always, uh, I've always given him credit for being like the first person to, to let me have a job in sportscasting, but it wasn't anything serious that I thought of as a job. So when I was in high school, I I played around with it. We had a public access station. I would mess around on football games and basketball games. And, and it really wasn't anything structured or proper. It was just, Hey, here's a microphone. It's connected to this camera. That's just going to go back and forth during the game. 
and you can talk about it if you want, and it's probably going to end up on public access, so don't say anything stupid. And that was my only exposure to broadcasting until I got to Valpo. And uh, I had a friend of mine who I'd gone to high school with. He was a few years older than me, and he was the general manager of the radio station, of uh, the student station, and he said, I think if you, if you give this a shot, you might actually enjoy it. If you come here, we'll put you on air as a freshman, and we'll give you an opportunity right away. And if you want to pursue it, great. So I, I applied. I got in. I applied only to like three or four other schools, and I had really no idea what I was going to do. I, I applied for the business school at Bradley and like the business marketing at Western Illinois, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I got into Valpo. I didn't visit. I didn't know what the campus looked like. I really didn't know where it was. The first day I showed up was for orientation, and I went to the radio station and asked uh, a guy who's now a good friend of mine. Uh, he was a communications professor there. I asked, where's the radio station? I know Ken Levicka. He told me to come here. Where do I go? And that was, that was it. That's how my broadcasting career got started, with very little knowledge, with sight unseen to the place I was going. That's how I ended up going there. So I, I think I pretty much went there to get into broadcasting. What was your training ground like? Um, I'm always curious. I, you know, I, I went to Syracuse, and they have the whole system where you, ever, you go under the wing, and step 19, you wind up on air. Uh, what was your kind of training ground like of learning, and, and when did you feel like you had a handle on it? We had a small but passionate group of people that were really into sports casting and we leaned on a lot of the seniors, and it wasn't any type of real hierarchy. Uh, I think I was one of the first freshmen to really get some of the opportunities that I got a chance to, to get at Valpo. There weren't really a lot of freshmen that had gotten the opportunity there to host the network stuff. Uh, if, and for, for those who are, who are wondering, our student station was the flagship network for the commercial, what was the flagship station for the commercial network, which is rare to have that happen anywhere. So we had a, a, a regular a hired play-by-play guy uh, named Todd Ica, who's still the Valpo uh, basketball and football play-by-play announcer. Joel, you, you've met him before. Yep. Uh, he's still there, and he would work with a student. And you know, for, for him to have no ego and work with a new student every year on a football broadcast or a basketball broadcast for the season and then have students run your, your pre- and post-game and halftime shows – and to have the students cut the highlights, that's a big deal. So that's what our training ground was. If you were good enough to be on air and host the pre- and post-game and halftime show, you'd get the opportunity, but not a lot of freshmen had that chance. So I kind of gravitated towards writing and trying to figure out quickly how to step into these roles, and I was lucky enough to get those opportunities early. But there wasn't much of a hierarchy. It was, hey, what do you do? Oh, you sound good doing this. Hey, you, you haven't done well doing this. Keep trying this. He, you know, work on this. We'll move you up to, to update anchor during the pregame show and postgame show. You can be the highlight producer for this broadcast. Hey, you're going to do color for a basketball game. Then we're going to have you do play-by-play for baseball. It was just trying to do as many things as you could to get better. And hopefully you were good enough to jump on the commercial station. And the year after that, when you're a sophomore, you're going to do more play-by-play and you're going to do more color. And as a junior, you're focusing on play-by-play and being uh, the network guy. And as a senior, you're going to be the main play-by-play announcer for maybe a sport or two. So there wasn't much of a hierarchy, but it was working your way up and just trying to get better as fast as you possibly could. And it's, it's not as structured as a lot of other places, but it did give you a lot of opportunity to get better. And to, it gave you opportunity to suck, frankly. Like it, there were chances to be really bad on air 
and we have some tapes and some highlights or lowlights that go back a long way that showed us, you know, some of us being terrible on air, but we had the chance to be, be, be awful at it. And I think that's important. You have to learn how to be really bad at this before you can learn to be really good. When did all the other stuff kind of fall in line for you? Because, I, I mean, I remember when I, when I first saw the name Adam Amin, we were both seniors, and it was the first year of the Jim Nance Award that STAA puts together. Um, and I looked at your stuff, and I was like, oh, God, oh, okay, I'm out. Um, but uh, Not to blow smoke, Joe. Like, yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing, and I looked at all of us who were kind of in that group together, you know, that were all finalists, finalists for that award, and I thought, wow, I don't, I don't think I sound like these guys. I don't think I sound as good as these guys. And I was always questioning, like, am I doing this the right way? Do I have a future in this? And, and I know when you're 21, 22, it's a dumb way to think about things, but it's hard not to because yeah. you're, you're in your own moment. So naturally you're going to think, well, uh, well, I'm not as good as that guy, and that guy's way better than me, and we're all up for the same stuff. I don't know if I, I stack up. So I have the same feelings about you and everybody else that we were matched up with. The thing that was interesting with you, though, was like I would watch – like you had the Fox Sports Wisconsin stuff and like the Illinois High School stuff and the Horizon League Network, which I, I, I've heard you talk about in some other places of how you wound up uh, doing stuff with the Horizon League and that then led into Turner. Uh, how did all of that stuff kind of fall into line with learning what you're learning in college and, and expanding – kind of quickly into all of those different avenues. I think I was my junior year. It was before my junior year when, when Balpo went into the horizon league. So they used to be in the Midcon, which is now the summit league. And they moved conferences before our junior year, which was a huge deal for us because now travel was easier. So we could do more games because no it was basically Midwest. Teams. Oh yeah. No more South Dakota, no more Southern Utah, no more centenary college. Now you're in a league that is centrally located. You can drive to a ton of games, so it was great for us because we got way more opportunities to do games. The Horizon League Network was just starting out, and it was, we're going to send cameras to every school. You're going to have a three-camera shoot. You're going to be a simulcast of your radio broadcast. So we had TV tape, quote-unquote, that we could kind of put together. Uh, so it was our first exposure to it. And when I got a chance to meet some of the people, John Cervisi, Nate Flannery, John is still a great friend of mine who works in television all over his his footprint is just about everywhere in TV now on the digital side. Nate Flannery works for the NCAA, so I still work closely with him at times. But they were the guys who were kind of in charge of all this, and I was, I was nervous, but I asked them, hey, do you guys need people to do other things? Uh, you know, I've done this sport and that sport. I can do play-by-play. I can do reporting. Is there anything you guys need me to do? And they found some chances for me to do some volleyball and to do the, you know, the Horizon League tennis championships when I was still in school. So, that was, it was simple as that. I, I worked for one of the schools. I went to one of the schools in the league. I had had experience broadcasting and I wanted to do more. And all I did was ask them. And sure enough, they, they were the first guys who kind of gave me my shot in TV. And it was those guys the, the, at the Horizon League who kind of expanded their resume and portfolio into working with the NCAA and Turner and uh, Turner Digital and NCAA Productions. So when they needed people to do the Division II basketball championships and the Division II tennis and uh, more conference stuff. I, I was there. I was on their roster, basically, and they kept giving me opportunities over the next couple of years. So that's how all of that kind of came out, and that's how I got my TV tape. That's how I built up my reps on TV, which was harder to do, I would say, even seven years ago, eight years ago than it is now. It feels like everybody's got an ESPN3 reel on their demo tape now, 
and everybody's got an ESPN mic flag and they've got the ESPN graphics because they go to a school that has a contract with ESPN. It, it was a lot harder to do that back seven, eight years ago, believe it or not. So I feel like I've, I just got in at the right time to get to start getting TV reps without feeling like I was part of a flooded marketplace of play-by-play guys who all had similar resume tapes. I don't know anybody like that at all. <laughs> no, of course not. We don't. We've never met any people like that. This guy I'm right not here. Talking yeah, no. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, they they when they sent us the ESPN mic flags, they almost took one and just like. Joel, I thought, were, <laughs> I thought they were sending three. There's only two here. I, I, there were only two in the box, guys. I don't know what happened to the third. Um, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like what are you gonna do? Well, how are we gonna spend this two million dollars? Don't you mean three million? Uh, right. Of course. My apologies. Obviously. Yeah. Um, did you wind? Didn't you wind up doing volleyball with Joe Davis at one point too on TV? That was the Illinois High School Association stuff, and it was our first like real foray into TV and Joe had been working with the IHSA and the company that had put together some of the broadcasts for them. And I had been calling volleyball at Valpo and I've, I've played volleyball for a long time. I played uh, from the age of like basically 11 all the way through the end of high school. And I played club ball and I have a passion for it. And I called a lot of it when I was in school. So Joe and I had met doing minor league baseball in the summer of 2009 and that's how we became friends and he had told me hey we need somebody to do volleyball i'm going to do two of the games on two or two of the classes for play-by-play i could use you know you can do color for me and then we'll switch it up and i'll do color for you on on the other two classes so that's how that came about and he he helped me get my first tv job and it was a real paycheck and it was like a four camera setup and we had a producer and graphics and, and all that. So that was our first foray together. We actually both kind of got into television together. And, I, you know, Joe's a big reason I actually got my first chance to do that. And we did it again in 2010. And that was part of my resume tape that helped me eventually get to ESPN. That's one of those tapes that in like 30 years, you know, is going to wind up on your like retirement reel that they put together. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and I'm going to cringe just as hard then as I do now, just looking at, a, what I was wearing. B, I never, uh, I never like fully like knotted up my tie. It was always loose at the top for some reason. <laughs> Every time I would come on camera, and I go, "What the hell is wrong with me? Like, do you know how to dress yourself?" And I really didn't know how to dress myself probably until I was like twenty six. No, but, yeah, me too. I still don't. I, yeah, I, I still struggle. I still struggle at times. I, I'm working on it, but yeah, I'll cringe just as hard when I'm 60 as I do when I'm 30. So I'm well aware of that. You mean this green tie doesn't go with this purple shirt? And I should, so I should tighten up the tie all the way to the, should I button all these buttons on this dress shirt? I don't think that's a thing. I don't think people do that in real life. So that was what was going on in my head to justify that. Does the fly go up or down? Um, I, I, I still don't know. Frankly. I don't <laughs> know. What, I don't know the answer to that. No. Um, <laughs> you've got an interesting, uh, story I think too as far as I mean from there obviously I know you went to Somerset and uh and and were with the Patriots for a couple of years and then wound up with Vision Sports Group um agency wise uh hopefully I'm not like divulging too much there uh but uh it's interesting because I I feel like a lot of times getting agents happens like you get you get the gig and then the agent kind of comes after and they'll help push you from that standpoint but you had one um before you were ever at ESPN uh, what was the process like for you getting an agent and then uh, 
from there winding up at ESPN? Part of it had to do with Joe, and it wasn't, uh, you know, and, and again, I, I mentioned him a lot just because we grew up together kind of in the business, and obviously he's still a, 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 as close of a friend as I have in, in, in media and just in my personal life. But he, he and I always kind of had this back and forth, like, hey, I did this, or hey, I'm going to do a demo here. So I would feel the necessity to try to not one-up him, but at least do the same thing because, you know, frankly, we were both kind of, we were both just trying to do things that were outside the box or, you know, to us, they were outside the box to other people. It might just be standard stuff. Like, yeah, of course you try to get demo tape at a major league baseball game in an empty booth. Of course you would try to do that at an NBA game. Of course you would call uh, an agent or call an agency or call a coordinating producer and ask for advice. Of course you would do these things. But for us, going back and forth, these were innovative things and these were big things for us to try to figure out how to move on and advance in this business. So he had done something, I think it was at the time he had gotten some kind of TV deal, like a a small TV football package, I want to say for the 2011 season with maybe the Sunbelt Network. I can't remember exactly exactly what he was doing at that time, but it was late 2010 and it was enough for me to go, man, I got to do something. I got, I got to do something. And I had been kind of researching agents and just kind of looking around. And at this point, when I was in Somerset in 2010, I had met Ian Eagle of CBS. And this is kind of a, a story that I think a lot of my, my friends know and a lot of my colleagues understand now. Uh, Ian was the guy, the first guy who kind of took me under his wing and said, I think you have a future in this business. I really like your tape. You have good presence. You have a future in this. Don't stop doing whatever you've been doing, don't stop doing that because it's good. And he was really supportive. And, and I, I remember kind of not really asking him about agents because I didn't feel comfortable asking him about it. I didn't know if that was going, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to cross the line in a relationship I had built, uh, you know, through networking and through uh, good impressions. I didn't want to overstep my boundaries, but I had seen who Ian was represented by. And I saw this website for the company that, that represented him. And I saw all these clients that were big name clients. And I thought, well, wow, maybe, maybe I can, maybe I can call him and, and ask how, how to go about doing this. I honestly didn't have any other thought. It wasn't like, I'm going to get an agent today. It, I never had that thought. I promise you. It was just, I want to know what the process is like and how do I get better? And, you know, maybe they look at my tape or something and say, well, do this, 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 and this better and good luck. And that would be enough for me. So I called and uh, the right-hand man for, for Vision Sports is named, at the time was named Dan. And Dan, I, I, I started rambling. As soon as Dan picked up the phone, I was like, hi, I'm a broadcaster and I do this. <laughs> and I work in New Jersey and I, I think I, I'm doing some TV. And he's like, whoa, slow the hell down, dude. Chill out. What's your name? What are you doing? What are you calling? And thank God that he was as gracious as he was, man, because he easily could have just hung up the phone and been like, and turned to like his colleagues, and be like, you'll never guess what weirdo just called here. <laughs> and he was so, so gracious and nice about it and just said, all right. I mean, you know, I explained to him my situation. He's like, all right, why don't you do this? Here's my email. Why don't you email me a resume tape or something? Just like, just, just some tape. I'll take a look at it. And, and maybe pass it up and, and no, I really appreciate you calling and, and you did, you know, you're doing the right thing. And he was so nice and gracious about it. And I was like, all right, cool. That, that's great. And this was on a Friday morning. Like it was like 10 AM. I was living with my parents at the time. It was the baseball off season. I was doing a lot of freelance radio, some freelance TV. 
but I would, but that was all during the weekend. So I would wake up every weekday and just be miserable. Like I would be so depressed waking up and going, what am I doing? Like my career's not going anywhere. I'm living with mom and dad. Like I, I, you know, doing high school games for 40 bucks a pop and, and doing Valpo, you know, I was doing Valpo radios, like their studio host. And they were paying me like a hundred bucks a game, but I was making nothing because I would keep driving. You know, I had to drive an hour and a half to get there and drive an hour and a half back. And it was just all these frustrating things kept building up. And so that Friday morning, I was like, I'm going to do something. So I, I call this agent. He gives me, you know, the, the email address and tells me to send a tape. My resume tape, Joel, was just awful. It was brutal. It was terrible. I, I look, it was like bad on camera on volleyball. My tie's undone. I look, I'm like, I've gained 10 pounds because I'm living at home and I'm eating my mom's cooking. And like the play-by-play, I don't think is, is up to snuff. Uh, the radio tape that I had slotted in there was, was so-so. And I'm like, there's no way they're not going to laugh their ass off when they see this and just shoo it away. And sure enough, I get an email probably like an hour and a half later. Hey, I showed this to my boss. He wants to give you a call later. What do you think? Are you free? And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm free. Are you kidding me? Like, this is incredible. I, of course. I, no one's knocking on my door. Nobody's asking, hey, who's, who's this young broadcaster? Nobody's thinking that. They're, this is the first guy who's like, let me take a look at this guy and let me, let me talk further with him. And that's the first time I actually ended up talking with my the guy who's now my agent, he called me on a Friday night at 11 o'clock PM Eastern time. I was at my parents' house waiting around for the phone call and I got it at 10 PM. And we talked for like an hour and a half. The first time I talked to this guy, it was like an hour and a half. And he asked me what my dreams and goals are. And what do I think about this broadcaster? And who do I look up to? And this and that. And just, I was shocked that it even happened that way. And that was the first time I'd ever spoken with an agent. And I was 23. How quickly did things go from there? Yeah, I think pretty fast. Uh, you know, he, he's like, let me, let me take a further look at your tape. I, I think you got a future in this. Uh, you know, I, I see what Ian was talking about. And I guess Ian had already kind of greased the wheels a little bit at this point. I, I think that's what happened on that Friday. If I had to guess, uh, my agent, the, the guy who was, I was talking to, Maury, probably spoke with Ian and said, do you know this kid? Because he just happened to email us and – and I, you know, do you, do you have any thoughts on him? And I, I think Ian was the guy who kind of greased the wheels for me because it, without him, I don't think I would have ever gotten a call back. I, I don't think that ever would have happened. And because of that, there was some credibility built there. Uh, Maury and I talked, you know, sparingly for the next couple of months in March of 2011, I went to Indianapolis to meet with him for the first time. I went to the big 10 tournament, sat with him in uh Conseco field house for, got probably six or seven hours and just talked further. And, and by the end of the meeting, he said, I, I want to represent you. I think you got a future. If you want to, uh, I'm, I'm all in. And that's how it happened. A couple of months later in May, I went back to New Jersey for baseball season, signed with him officially, kept doing some freelance work, put together a resume tape. And within got seven, seven months of that first phone call, I got hired by ESPN July what's, of 2011. What's that pitching process like? Uh, w- w- once you've got the agent, um, what happens from that standpoint from uh, how much do you know about what's going on? How much is it just Maury gives you a call and says, Hey, we got this. So you're going to Bristol. Yeah, it was, it was just kind of like that. In all honesty, it wasn't a lot of inside baseball for me. It was, it was just doing my work and putting, you know, doing my broadcast and prepping and putting my resume tapes together and 
sending it to Maury and saying, here's what I got now. Let me know if you need anything else. And I guess when the, the pitch started for him was, was probably about late May, early June to ESPN and specifically ESPNU. And it was to Dan Steer, who was at the time kind of running ESPNU and uh, he's now at NBC Sports Network, and he was the first guy who kind of said, you know, I really like this kid's tape. I think he's got a future. Hey, why don't we give him, you know, we could, we, we could find 10 events for him. So Maury would call me in June and say, hey, I think we're working on 10 events with ESPN. Awesome. That's great. That's fantastic. I would love 10 events with ESPN. And a, a week later or a couple of weeks later would be, hey, I think, you know, they, they might need you to do more, and, and I think they really like you. Maybe 15 or 20 is more realistic. Awesome. Great. Fantastic. I'd love to do 15 or 20. And then the talks got a little bit more in depth and, and now, and I was still on the outside of it, but he would say, you know, you know, Todd Harris might be thinking about leaving for NBC and, you know, they might have a football package open plus some basketball, plus some other Olympic sports. Like, do you feel comfortable doing all that? And I said, yeah, of course I'd love to do all that stuff. And, and by the time we got to that first week of July, it was, ESPN just offered you a full-time contract. You, you're you're going to work full-time for them now. And it was just a gradual thing. For me, on the outside of it, it just felt natural and it felt organic. For him, I'm sure it was a lot of you know, sweat and, and frustration going into the conversations. But for me, it was just kind of waiting around, you know, trying to do my work and do a good job. And hopefully somebody said, hey, we like you. And that's kind of how it ended up happening. I want to dive into that a little bit more in a second. But uh, I remember back... I don't even know if you remember this. I don't know why I remember it. Uh, maybe it's just because I thought it was funny. Um, but we were, we knew of each other at that point in time, and we were friends on Facebook. And I remember reading a post that you had uh, where it was like, I'm going to my first like preseason broadcasters meeting or whatever. And you were like imagining what everybody was going to be like in the high school lunchroom and like who McDonough was. Yeah. And what was that like and who was who? <laughs> I, I imagine it like it's kind of like high school where like Musburger and Herb Street and Aaron Andrews are like the popular table <laughs> and I was showing up for like my first day at a new place like just hoping somebody wouldn't knock over my lunch tray and uh, I could find somebody to sit down and eat lunch with and that's how it was in all honesty like, who, did, who did you sit down and eat lunch with so I <laughs> well I, for, first when I walked into the place like you also take your like team photo, you know, like your, your headshot and sure. or whatever, but you do that like later in the day. So everybody's wearing like, just like business casual stuff. Like some guys are wearing jeans and polos and I showed up in like a full suit. <laughs> I was the only guy wearing a full suit. And I walked down the stairs from my hotel room into the, into the conference center in, in, at the, at the hotel that we're at. And I walked down and I go, son of a bitch. Really? Like, am I legitimately the only one wearing a suit? I'm like, all right, here I go. And I'm slowly walking around and I'm just kind of like in awe because I see Herb Street and I see Musburger and I see Sean McDonough and I see Todd Blackledge and I see Brad Nessler and I see all these like really impressive broadcasters that I, I don't know at all. I don't know any of these people personally at all. And I'm just kind of in awe and I bang into a guy and I go, oh shoot, I'm so sorry, sir. And I look up and it's, it's Urban Meyer, it's Urban <laughs> Meyer. Like, I, Banged right into the chest of, uh, you know, two-time national championship winning coach. Uh, that was the one year he had taken off, and he was, he was working with ESPN. That was before he went and took the Ohio State job, obviously. But that was my first impression of it. Uh, I go into the big conference room, and I sit down, and sure enough, Brent Musburger sitting right in front of me, and him and Herb Street are just cracking jokes, and, and I'm just going, oh, my God, that's Brent Musburger. He is sitting right in front of me. This is the legend of legends, and I'm sitting right behind him. Like, how cool is this? 
And uh, I think I ended up having lunch with Justin Kutcher because Kutcher was like the one guy I kind of like made some contact with beforehand. And he was like, Hey, if you need anything, let me know, you know, just, you know, I'll, I'll be there. So I ran into him and like, I kind of sat down at a random table and that's what it was like. It was just kind of looking around and making sure I didn't overstep my bounds. And it was funny because I go back last week, we had our seminar again and I feel confident walking in and I know everybody in the room and I'm, I'm hanging out with, uh, with Herb Street and Chris Fowler and being able to go back and forth with them. And it's not a big deal. And I see some of the new guys who have just come up to ESPN as play-by-play announcers, you know, your Kevin Brown and uh, Alex Faust and, and, and some of these other younger guys who are just stepping into the ESPN world. And I'm thinking, wow, how, how crazy do they feel right now? Cause they're hanging out in the room with the same guys that I was in awe of when I was younger too. So it's a, uh, it's a surreal thing. And it was definitely at that time when I actually got a chance to be in there. And we'll cut it there for now. Part one of our conversation with Adam Amin of ESPN here on Play by Playcast. He will be back with us next week for uh, what holds out to be a really good conversation. I had a great time doing this one with Adam. Adam and I uh, have met uh, several times and have talked a lot back and forth uh, over the last couple of years and uh, feel like we've got a pretty good rapport, so thought this would be a fun one to have and, and feel like, uh, in hindsight, we had a really good conversation. Uh, hopefully it was great uh, for you guys and, and uh, you guys were able to pluck and learn some things, uh, if not today, uh, certainly next week. Uh, but a lot of good stuff in there from Adam Amin from ESPN. Part two of this interview will be next week. And then, guys, I know I've said this for the last several episodes, you're not going to miss, uh, not going to want to miss what we have coming up on this podcast. And I've always been kind of clandestined about it. Uh, <laughs> but we've got some awesome interviews uh, coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, Bob Wischusen will be on the podcast of ESPN and of the New York Jets. J.B. Long will be on this podcast, the new voice of the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, he's also done the World Baseball Classic, Pac-12 Networks, Bright House Sports Network, uh, Big Ten Network. He's done a whole bunch of things. Really good conversation with J.B. Long will be on this podcast. Wayne Larravee of the Green Bay Packers is coming up on this podcast. we got a lot of really good uh, conversations I think you're really going to enjoy over the next couple of weeks now that I've spilled the beans. Uh, we will see you next week, though, part two of Adam Amin. In the meantime, they're playing the music, which means i got to get up on out of here. We'll talk to you next Friday morning at PXPCast. Hit us up on Twitter. It's the Play by Playcast. See you. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.